Right into this world All alone God takes your soul You're on your own The crow flies straight A perfect line On the devil's bed Until you die This week on Plot Points Podcast, we spoil a bunch of endings, discuss our work ethic, spoiler alert, none, and try to figure out which star was born better. This is Plot Points Podcast. with Plot Points Podcast. We are coming to you from sunny Southern California. I won't ask about the weather. I won't talk about the weather, I promise, um, except to say it's sunny. Uh, but with me are uh, good friends and, po- and former previous podcasting, uh, not former, previous podcasting co-hosts, uh, Chris Styers. How you doing, Chris? Doing well. How right. is everybody else? Uh, I hope everybody's fine. Uh, that's my job to ask questions, Chris. Oh. Shut up. No. Okay, <laughs> got it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm also here with uh, two really fine gentlemen, uh, young guns of the uh, the uh, movie industry. Derek Nguyen. Derek, how you doing? Doing great. That's great. Bruce Kazra. Oh, I'm doing fantastic, Mark. Uh, great to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you guys back. We had a lot of fun last time. Um, it's a good thing I get to edit this because nobody would want to hear what we talk about before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair <laughs> so uh so anyway um so this week was busy for me although it was not really a uh, good writing weekend uh or week did uh you guys do any writing or and uh, let me instead of asking that question let me ask you this um what is your when you're working on something what's your um your routine for writing uh, i guess we'll start maybe with chris chris when you're working on a novel, do you do you set down a schedule? Do you do so many pages, so many words? What's your what's your routine? Well, I don't set a word uh, limit or page limit. Um, basically, since I work a regular job Monday through Friday, right? I get a, I get up a little bit earlier than I need to, and while I'm having my cough, play with whatever I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just rewriting and sometimes it's moving forward. When I can spend the most time is on weekends and holidays. Right. And then I can sit down and, you know, for more than an hour. But sometimes an hour is enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's, um, how many pages, I mean, you when you're working on a novel, how many pages is like a great session? Like, would that be five, ten? Five. If I find five strong pages, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'm thrilled at that point. Uh, when I start pushing it to ten or more, then I find out I'm doing a lot of rewriting and editing. And yeah, you're writing crap, in other words, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I do uh, that well. <laughs> we all do. We all do. Hey, uh, so Derek, when you're when you're working on a project, uh, writing or something like that, what's your what what is your schedule like? Do you do you have a routine, or is it is it just when you can? 
Um, well, so when I write, I wish that I had the discipline to say, oh, I want to make this word count or I want to meet this page count every single day or week. Mm-hmm. At the moment, though, unfortunately, I don't think that I've been doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I always do, no matter what, no matter how disciplined I am nowadays, is I like outlining like everything. Oh, like, really? Like, yeah, like whether that is a character's like a character's arc throughout the movie or throughout the uh, whatever script form I'm writing, um, the history of the setting that I'm trying to write in, um, how like every- if you're if you're doing a, a like a like a, a city you haven't you've never visited or, yeah, or a time yeah. period or something like that. Yeah, like if I'm doing, I, I usually like writing some type of sci-fi concept or some type of um, alternate reality type of thing. So mm-hmm. I need to be able to know my universe inside and out. And, because, you know, part of the fun part about writing those kind of settings is showing how it's different, you know, and showing sh- showing your cards one at a time rather than just giving it all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, so I try knowing the whole entire universe as much as I can so that way there's no random little uh, little blips that just make people scratch their heads Yeah, and the reason why I like outlining is because one time I wrote a script where I didn't outline like at all, Mm -hmm. and it just went haywire. Mm. You know, like it just went absolutely everywhere. So I've learned my lesson after writing a hundred pages of (laughs) hundred pages of basically a maze work. Yeah. Yeah. So Bruce, do you outline or you do you freeball? Um, so I was, I will say when I, when I first started writing, especially for your class, it was smoking a little bit of weed and then just hit getting, getting right to the paper. Um, but now I feel, uh, as, as I was, I minored in, in film in, in college. So one of the things that I did learn was to outline as well. I didn't like it at first, but then I realized that it was important to really rely on it because, uh, it, it's, it would be a shame and a lot less productive to start writing immediately. And you write 10 to 15, 20 pages and then realize it's complete crap. <laughs> I think it would be, I found it to be a little bit more productive to write out the outline, have mm-hmm. a skeleton for your story, uh, and then take it for critique. And if you can tweak the skeleton to be stronger and you have a stronger foundation for your story, then if you make mistakes later, or if other things aren't as tight, it's a lot easier to tweak mm-hmm. than to go back and change the whole foundation of the story. Interesting. So, Chris, do you outline? Uh, vaguely. I usually outline the very beginning mm-hmm. and then I know where it's going. I mm-hmm. used to outline more extensively, but I found as I was working on my novel that I would, you know, like 25% in suddenly something I would write would stir several other ideas right, right. that took off away from the outline. Mm-hmm. And you did, I didn't want to go with them. Hey, that. I, then I got to throw out the outline right, I spent right. so much time on. Right. So, like I said, I usually, you know, I do it in segments mm-hmm. as I'm approaching it, but I have an idea where I'm headed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for me, I I never ever ever outline. I hate outlining. So, <laughs> you know what my feeling is? It feels to me, and I don't know if this is something that you guys can relate to because you're all kind of outliners, although Chris sounds like he free balls a lot. But um, the thing is, I feel like if I outline it, I've already written it and I'm not as interested in writing it again. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I, I feel like I, I want to open those doors <clears throat> with my characters uh, dynamically without knowing what's, what's, what's in, what's there ahead of now. I mean, I probably outline in my head, I'm probably fooling myself, but I've been doing it for so long. It just seems, I don't know. Um, seems like it's double work to me. So I think, um, Bruce and Derek, if you guys wrote more, maybe you would go toward more Chris, uh, where you outline a little bit of it and then, um, you know, just, just lay it down. Cause you guys are more, you're not you're not as much screenwriters as you are filmmakers. Um, it's probably more accurate. Yeah, I would at say at the moment. At the moment, it's been very hard to write just because I'm constantly doing music videos. Oh right. You don't really, you don't really write for those. You, you make decks, like pitch decks or general outlines. Yeah, maybe that's why. Literally, music videos, you just write an outline. Uh-huh. You don't have to actually write anything. You just write an outline. So maybe that's indicative of my outlining. Uh, my outlining preferences. Yeah, you're not telling. A, you're not really telling a very deep uh, and abiding story. You don't have to fill in a hundred some pages. You just have. Yeah, to, yeah. I, I make a PowerPoint <laughs> with my outline for a really. Huh? Do you guys storyboard? Um, I I mean, for my music videos, I storyboard. Um, and for my for my scripts, though, usually I don't storyboard. Well, yeah, nobody. I don't know that anybody storyboards for scripts. For- for any movie that we made while we were in uh, FPS or in school or anything that we always had a storyboard artist that would kind of do that for us. So I don't think we ever had the, the inkling to do it ourselves, but I think in Derek's case now, he's probably doing it a lot more since you're directing more than writing. That's kind of directing his storyboarding is sort of part of it, right? Kind of. I usually just get like inspirations and example shots and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then just have a very, very detailed shot list of my DP. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I'm just too lazy to draw it. <laughs> yeah. No, I meant uh, I meant in general is your is your uh, is your work storyboarded? I should say not that you're doing it, but is somebody doing it for you or or putting in the information? Like in a couple short films I've done, I storyboarded, but honestly, I don't think that it's I don't think that it's ridiculously helped me most of the time. Okay, so. that's interesting. I mean, I've always thought about storyboarding as basically. You know, uh, for more, more for directors, not for screenwriters. And it, mm-hmm. I've never, ever found a reason to do it. But I think if we, well, I don't know. We'll talk about that some other time. I, you know, there's a, there's some new media stuff coming up that, uh, that we should talk about, like, you know, animatics and proof of concepts and stuff like that. So we'll put yeah. that, we'll put that down the road. Um, as, as an erotic story artist myself, I think storyboarding is very important. <laughs> What <laughs> did you say as a as an erotic what? As an erotic story artist, I think story it's very Im- story artist. I think it's very important to storyboard everything, well, and I really what? mean everything. You you millennials can turn any vice into a living. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> what's your what's your pseudonym, Bruce? Yeah, for your for your erotic art. Um, it's, uh, Bendover, actually. <laughs> actually, he's got, there's already a guy named Bendover. So <laughs> no, I already took the idea. Uh, you can get, how about Dirk Dickless? You can Dirk, get- Dirk, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, uh, Dirk, Dirk, Dirk Dickless Jr. I'll take that one. Yeah. You know what? Uh, that segues us nicely somehow. I don't know how I'm a little, now I'm a little bit afraid. Uh, <laughs> I signed um, Boogie Nights to my class this past Tuesday. Uh, hey. for, oh, nice. Well, I was looking for a Burt Reynolds movie, and I 
Chris and I have talked about Burt Reynolds uh, before, and it, I love the guy, but his movies, I like the oh, the movies like uh, The Longest Yard and um, Sharky's Machine. Of course. But uh, Boogie Nights was, was pretty much, at least that's within the realm of the last 20 years or something like that, so... Um, so what are you guys watching? I, that's, I, I watched that and I watched Maniac. I watched the first two episodes of Maniac. Mm. And, um, I enjoyed Maniac, although I don't think it's all that startlingly different. It's just a, it's just a chopped up way to tell a story. Um, which is interesting. I, I don't know how you pitch that. I don't know how you pitch that concept. Um, because I mean, it's so all over the place. I think you have to just genericize it, but, um. I mean, you, you've only watched the first two episodes? Yeah. 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 Oh, it gets way crazier. It gets well, even more unpitchworthy as uh, <laughs> as time goes on. Like, I think you got to get to episode maybe four or five before you hit the fever pitch. Okay. Yeah. That, that's all the time I had this week was uh, that. And then I, I watched a couple. I'm, I'm working my way through Jack Ryan. So I'm oh, at the nice. last two episodes of that, but uh, I haven't finished it yet. So, so what are you guys watching? Anything interesting? Did anybody see Venom or uh, – are you interested in Aquaman at all? Um, yeah, I actually saw the. Um, I did not see Venom yet. I was gonna. I was about to go see it in theaters, and then I immediately saw the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and was was significantly disheartened. But uh, I, I still do want to see it. Instead, I ended up seeing this movie called Mandy. Uh, it's a new Nicolas oh, Cage film that came out recently. Uh, the reviews are actually quite phenomenal, and it was visually very different and unique. They. Um, the artist really played, the, the director really played with um, red light a lot. Every tiny time there was a scene that demonstrated a lot of intensity or mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage was just having his normal freakouts as he always does, uh, which, was, which really was prevalent in this movie, especially in the second half. Uh, they would really tint the screen as red as possible to really just, and it would really tie in with the music well. Derek, did you see anything this week that's uh, noteworthy? Yeah, just yesterday I went to the theater and me and my family saw A Star is Born. Oh, yeah. The one directed by Bradley Cooper and starring Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Um, I know it's a remake. I personally have not seen the previous iterations of A Star is Born. But this yeah. one, um, like this one, even if it's a remake or not, like it was a great story. Um, I thought that what was really cool about the screenwriting-wise is... Uh, Spoiler alert, I mean, this is said in like the first 10 minutes, but Bradley Cooper's character, who's a musician, he has hearing problems. He has a, he has a growing tinnitus issue. Mm-hmm. And um, is it tinnitus? Tinnitus? Tinnitus. Yeah, tinnitus. And he has a growing tinnitus issue, and they very organically, the whole entire, the whole entire movie is very organic, uh-huh. uh, how they introduce characters and their relationships to each other. Like, there's nothing that feels forced, but um, in terms of his tinnitus, they also make that very organic inside the script as well because they have him, um, they have him like on- honestly like talking over people a mm-hmm. lot of the time or asking someone to repeat a question or repeat a phrase that they said if they're like let's say at a bar or somewhere that's a, a tiny bit harder to hear. He, you'll you'll see him ask like what did you say or like mm-hmm. lean forward to hear what they're saying. I, I really liked it. It made it feel super organic. Um, all the conversations, like nothing ever felt like as if I was watching a movie. Mm, that's good. Yeah. It also yeah. helps that Bradley Cooper, like completely changed his voice and sounded like he smoked and drank every single day. Um, 
Yeah, he was, he was, you haven't seen the Chris Christopherson, Barbara Streisand version, but that's what Chris Christopherson sounds like. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean the movie was fantastic though. Um, not only from a writing standpoint, but also from a directing standpoint and acting standpoint. Awesome. Yeah, how was the? Yeah, okay. That I, I'm really interested. Well, I've seen two of the four. This is the fourth iteration, so I've seen two of the four. No, yeah, two of the four. I haven't seen the first one with Janet Gaynor, and I haven't seen this one, but I've seen the one with with um, uh, Judy Garland and this one. And so, uh, the Barbara Streisand one was, I thought, fantastic. It was my that was my gen. That was the one. So, um, and I like Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. So they look, it looks like they did a great job with this. Yeah. Lady Gaga is a, I mean, obviously she's a great singer, but she did a great job acting wise. She reminds me of a little bit of Cher. You know, Cher was one of those, those, uh, musicians who not everybody liked and, uh, you know, that she had her audiences and stuff like that. But when she started acting, she just (laughs) knocked her socks off. She was really a great actress. Still is, still is. Uh, so I think Lady Gaga won an Emmy for uh, um, American Horror Story as a oh. guest guest actress. So she actually does have some really strong acting yeah. chops. Oh, that's good. That's cool. I like to see that crossover when I, when it's good like that. So, uh, Chris, are you uh, yeah. watching anything besides uh, uh, you know re- reruns of uh, West Wing or? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen the first couple of episodes of Maniac. Right, and you mentioned I'm that. Intrigued. Uh, see a little bit more mm-hmm. and i've seen the first couple episodes of nbc's manifest oh yeah and that's and that's intriguing but i'm also concerned network television has a good way of hey here's this intriguing mystery but their resolutions like how they ended lost mm-hmm. it, you know it just you just shake your head and going okay right but, now uh, manifest you, we were talking a little bit about this before it began. They, yeah. It's these people in an airplane. Uh, there's a bunch of turbulence when they land. It's only been a few hours, but when they land, it's been five years later, right? That's the yes, problem. yeah, yes. That they have vanished for mm. five years, mm-hmm. but for them, it's only been three or four hours. So, now we'll have to see how and, that turns out. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, commercial television is uh, is you know they're. They're they're working hard to compete against Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and stuff like that. So oh, they are. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but also, you know, I go old school once a week and I watch Blue Bloods. Yeah, you <laughs> know, I actually I, I'm watching Blue Bloods on uh, Netflix. I actually like that show quite a bit. So. Yeah. Um, I, the other thing I was doing, um, and maybe I'll I won't mention because we'll talk about what are we working on here in a second, but. Um, I started to rewatch the West Wing. You got me like hooked on it again because it's been a number of years before I saw it yeah. since I've seen it. And there was a, a pretty interesting technique that they used that I that I want to mention. Uh, but we'll, I'm going to put a pin in it for right now. And w- if we have time, I'll bring it back around. But it was okay. it was pretty cool. It was the way they introduced the uh, Dulé Hill character, the Charlie. Um, uh-huh. I don't know if you remember that but it was it was pretty it, it was yeah, i thought it was brilliant to tell you the truth so um what do anybody working on anything there oh you know before we get too far in here chris i want to i want you to tell me you, you didn't mention it, i don't think at all but you signed contracts for a, a new book yeah i just oh, signed congratulations. contracts for, thank you 
for my seventh novel. Yeah. With a uh, new um, uh, publishing house that I haven't worked with before. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. That. Yeah. And also, I will throw in this week. This week, um, at least the ebook version of my novel uh, Starbeast mm. is going to be available at least on Barnes and Noble and my publisher's uh, house site. And uh, then a little bit down the road, the uh, paperback will be available. And uh, basically, the log line for Star Beast is uh, Lonesome Dove Meets Alien. Yeah. And that started its life as a script, right? Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. And then we weren't getting anywhere with the script, and but I really liked it, so I turned it into a novel. Right. A short novel, but a novel. Well, so... The problem for me is I would love to not only read it but review it, but it's not on yeah. Amazon, and I don't. No, not yet. And and uh, Barnes and Noble is Nook, and I don't think they have yeah. a Kindle. Uh, and I maybe think I, you're right. Yeah. I think it says Nook on Barnes and Noble, but it's supposed to be here if shortly on Amazon too. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a program called Calibri, uh, C-A-L-I-B-R-E, that will adjust, uh, you can, you can, it'll turn any book into any other book. Um, so. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, and it's a great, it's a great resource. Uh, I have all my eBooks on Calibre, but, um, yeah. So I'm going to look into that. But, um, for those of you who, who don't want to get into Calibre or whatever, it's, you have to wait for the Kindle version. Uh, yeah. for Amazon. So, uh, Derek, Bruce, either you guys working on anything uh, you want to talk about? Derek, can I go first? Uh, sure. So, at the moment, as I was saying before, I've been trying to, like, I cold call every single, like, day to random musicians hoping for meetings on certain songs. And so I've been working on a lot of different outlines for songs that artists, for, like, for artists that actually respond to my cold calls. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, so I mean, I've been working on a lot of story, like I guess storyboarding or outlines for these music videos, and whether they're whether they are indie, R and B, or electronic. Uh, so that's fun. But script wise, script wise, I really want to be working on something because I have a goal of mine that I want to get into production by next February. Mm-hmm. That I kind of have to have at least a rough draft of my script, hopefully by like November. Yeah, November. I was gonna say pretty pretty quick yeah that's pretty that's pretty soon so i gotta get a rough draft soon and then have to ask mark to destroy my script (laughs) make it again um yeah because and in college in college all my all my short films that i've ever made i literally just wrote one draft and then and then it'll get selected by our club or something, and then all of a sudden now I only have three weeks before production. Mm. And so Our standards were really low then. <laughs> yeah, because of that, uh, my scripts, I feel like, always suffered, you know, because they, they're they clearly first drafts or second drafts at the maximum, right? Yes. Like I never had the time to ever write more than two drafts. And usually when I write a second draft, I end up just adding more. So mm-hmm. like then I, then I need like a third or fourth draft to really clean it up, but I've never got that. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm out of school and I have to pay for my own shorts and <laughs> pay for production, um, I need to. I, I really want to get into the revision process a lot more. So, well, I just a- think, I mean, all of we all think uh, 
our work is, you know, pretty good, but really first draft is the worst thing you can do. It just, uh, I, I, you know, you know my feelings on this. It's first draft is great, a lot of energy, but flawed. Second draft takes out all the fun, but fixes all the problems. And then third draft is really where you, where you get your best results. So, so is that the sweet spot? Do you ever go past three? No. Well, yeah. When I'm in production, I, Jesus, I mean, I can remember, you know, seven, eight, ten drafts. Um, but there's, they're for specific, more for specific problems, like for instance, uh, locations or, but yeah, uh, my God, I, I bring this stuff to class. I don't think I did it with your class. Um, but I have a couple of my scripts where, when you do revisions, uh, those revisions go on different colored pages. So you start off with a white script and then revision pages. I think the first revision color is blue. And then, but there's a whole rainbow of colors like uh, salmon and uh, golden rod and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, the script, my first script, I have, it looks like a rainbow. It's, uh, you know, it's all different colors because each of the page colors represents a different revision. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think I've gone up to seven. I don't think I've gone beyond that, seven or eight. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of work, man. And I've heard stories these days with, uh, you know, studios are asking more and more writers to do more and more rewrites for free because you only get contractually one rewrite usually on a on a script. Or, I mean, contractually they're, they are held to one rewrite, but they have option rewrites and they have polishes. But I don't think any writer in the world would want uh, somebody else rewriting their work. So, you know, we always agree. Studios got us by the short hairs because we always agree to do more than than our contractual uh, draft obligations. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, anyway. Yeah, I personally have never gone beyond three on any script. But Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know. Chris is probably going through this now. But Chris, I don't know about you, but I have to do what I call millennial rewrites for all my a lot of my older stuff. Cause oh, yeah. Because Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, even to some extent cell phones didn't exist when I first start writing. And so if I go back to an older project and I want to send it out to a producer, I have to go back in and, and add stuff like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and things like that. So yeah, that, that really reminds me of how someone was looking at Friends and oh, yeah. plot points in Friends in any given episode could have been solved by them having cell phones. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> you know, there's, a lot, there's a lot of like miscommunication and then a character would leave and then all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, how do I get them to know? You're right. You know, it's, it's crazy. Well, your only other option is when you put the opening for the screenplay, uh-huh. you put, uh, you know, over the <laughs> over a black screen, you put 1985. Yeah, you put circa 1985 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, that's how you can get away with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, though, e- even the um, uh, you know, mo- you can't do that with every script because obviously nobody wants to be making scripts from 1995 or 1985 because of the cost of the uh, you know the 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 time because yeah. you, you got to get clothes and cars and. Derek, thanks for that. Bruce, you are you working on anything? Or are you still just basically doing the nine to five? I'm still doing the nine to five. I, I added a few about four more pages to the script I was talking about last time, but uh, it's still a little bit less than I want to. And mm-hmm. uh, for that one, I don't think I've been outlining it as much as I should have. I kind of just went into straight writing since the mm-hmm. in my head the stakes are low and the criticism is at a minimum right now since there's no one around me to read it. <laughs> Um, but I, I'm, I'm making it a goal to at least write a page a day, keeping it really easy so I can just stay consistent. 
Okay, so so Derek, let's really remember to to ream him uh, really good when he releases it to the uh, to the wild. <laughs> I expect Make nothing sure less. Destroy him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll carpet bomb him from above. So. <laughs> So let me. So last week, Chris, we talked a little bit about um, uh, female villains, but I had to cut it out of the podcast because we ran over. So uh, do you want to do that again? You want to cover it again? Sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. These would be my and boy, did I have a tough time with this. Mm-hmm. But uh, these would be my top female villains, mm-hmm. and it would be Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay. She's excellent. Annie, Wil- Annie Wilkes in Misery. Mm. Oh, okay. Okay. Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, Maddie Walker from Body Heat. <laughs> wow, yeah, and, she was good. And, uh, you know, don't laugh at me here, but Cruella DeVille from the original 101 Dalmatians. Wow. And... Uh, but I, I found myself leaving out, you know, Mystique, um, the Sharon Stone characters from both Basic Instinct and Total Recall. Oh. And when I was looking at my list, I'm going, I don't have a single villain, female villain played by Betty Davis, Barbara Stanwyck, or Joan Crawford. What's wrong here? Well, what's wrong is there, that's 100 years ago. So uh... Yeah, yeah, that could be. Well, I mean, Barbara Stanwyck basically in Double Indemnity was the same character as Maddie Walker, right? She's the. Well, she's the, I'm sure they based part of it on her. Yeah, and updated things. Yeah, I'm sure. No, I, oh, I think absolutely. What, I think what's his name is admitted. He's he basically redid Double Indemnity. So. Yeah. Um, uh, you guys got any uh, comments or or additions to that? Um, I would say some additions to that probably would be um, uh, the, the star of Monster. I forget, I forget her name, but the, oh, our, she was well, definitely yeah yes. Eileen Wernos char- the Eileen Wernos character Eileen Wernos character. And then I would I would like to also give another Charlize Theron character, which would be her her character in Mad Max. I think was also a really badass female character. She was she was yep yeah, bad but yep. But are we looking at badass female characters or badass female villains? You can, it can go. We can go either way because I have actually a badass female character uh, as opposed as opposed to a bad girl. I thought it was just badasses in general. My bad. Then. Well, that's okay. Go ahead. It's, I don't. Hey, you know, it's a podcast. Who the fuck cares? So. <laughs> what, what do you got, Derek? Anything? Um, off the top of my head, I really like. I mean, just because Bruce kept mentioning Charlize Theron, I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like her in Atomic Blonde. Mm. I forget her name, but like I, I forget her character's name, but her character in Atomic Blonde was ridiculously badass. Uh, the coolest part was that all the fight scenes, like all the fight scenes, you can tell that she's a that she's a woman, you know, because she's technically like, a little bit weaker in terms of like actual punch strength. You know, you can see that how she has to like maneuver around that during all the fight scenes. Mm-hmm. I, I think it actually makes the scene even more badass because it's a lot more realistic. Yeah, mm-hmm. who's got who's got music or something playing in the background? Oh, that's my roommate. Apologies, I'll go on mute. Okay, because it's 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 coming through quite loud. I can yeah, hear it's it. Quite loud. Yeah. Um, well, 
for the badass characters, I liked Angelina Jolie in both the Laura Croft movies and Wanted. Yeah, and Salt. And, and there is the, who is it, Michelle Leo? Leah? No. In um, uh, the James Bond movie, Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, yeah, I, I think, think, I think any, she she was in Crouching Tiger. Dragon. That's, <laughs> wait, 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 Michelle Yao, first of yeah, all. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yes. And then Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes, that's that's right. Yes. Let's, let's, let's leave it at villains for right now. Let's do a bad girl, okay. like badass girls uh, segment next okay. on the next podcast. That was a really good list. I think of the five you picked, Chris, I can't argue with any of them. I mean, probably my least favorite is Annie Wilkes. I, I didn't. Yeah. I, and I think that goes to how good she was as a character. I, she, I just want to stay away from her. You know, it's like I don't want yeah. to deal with her at all. <laughs> so. But if you guys, anybody out there in uh, listening land has a suggestion for good female uh, villains, we have a website. It's plotpoints.com. You can also reach us by calling in to 919scripts, which is uh, 919-S-C-R-I-P-T-S. One of these days, I'll have to get those digits because I know <laughs> I say the same thing twice. But, uh, but um, you know, let us know how you feel. We're also on, you know, you can find us on iTunes and a whole bunch of, uh, we have a Facebook page and stuff like that. So, uh, but this is Plot Points uh, Podcast. I am Mark Sevy. I'm with Chris Styers, Derek Nguyen, and Bruce Kazra. Uh, and we are talking about script writing and all things film. So. so one of the things I tasked you guys with is coming up with a movie or TV series ending that you'd like to change and why. Um, so I'd be interested to hear what, what uh, anybody has to say on this. Somebody get, start us off. Let's just jump in. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll start off. My The movie I wanted to uh, change the ending for that I really popped up in my mind over and over again because I really did think about this one was Dark Knight Rises. Hmm. Um, I really think, obviously, we can always say that the Dark Knight was amazing. Joker, the Joker character played by Heath Ledger was iconic at this point. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like the uh, ending of Dark Knight Rises sort of tarnishes the rest of the trilogy. Um, not to say that it was a... Yeah. For those of us who don't remember the ending, uh, want to mention what the ending is? Yeah, sure. So essentially, Bane wants to level Gotham City with a bomb. Uh, Batman uh, uses his bat jet to take the bomb over over the water, and uh, he's basically carrying the bomb as far away as he can over the water, and, and the the bomb goes off. Um, and then, uh, spoiler alert at this point, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but I'll I guess I'll, I'll send out a spoiler now. Uh, <laughs> at the end. Uh, uh, Alfred is seen uh, somewhere in Europe at a cafe, and the, they did. Some, and Christopher Nolan did some it was very clever camera panning, and right in front of him, as as Alfred is waving, uh, Bruce Wayne and and Catgirl are just sitting right there. Catgirl, Catgirl, Catwoman. Apologies, Catgirl. Oh my God. <laughs> Catwoman. He's, thinking of, he's thinking of that stripper he met last week. So. It was. <laughs> My, my mistake. We did everything blurs together at night. You know how it is. Um, oh gosh. Uh, I I thought the ending felt felt really forced. Uh, I I think I, I enjoyed the ending. Uh, the the part where they built tension and he's taking the bomb over the water. That part was exciting. And then they have the whole funeral. And then it just everything seemed very diminished. Um, at the end, when uh, you just see Alfred waving to wave, waving to Bruce and they're waving back to each other, and it just 
it, it, it just seemed like they, that Christopher Nolan wrote that part of the ending and was like, let's just fill everything from the bomb going off to there to make that fit. And I don't care what I have to do to fit that. So it really just kind of ruined, uh, I would say, the story and the pacing. And it, it just kind of ended in almost a cutesy way that is not really indicative of the tone of those movies. Also, so, so yeah. what, would you, what would you do? Um, I would just kill Batman and end it. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done anything there. I would have really, uh, I would, cause the thing they did was they opened, um, well, actually, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase kill, uh, uh, kill Batman and then have a more substantial Robin introduction. I feel like they did a slight Robin introduction, but not one that the fans were hoping for necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they should have, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character should have been a little bit more prominent in the sense of of a superhero aspect. I think he was just, they showed him as a cop and nothing else, which was really different from the comic books in the first place. A cop is is an everyday superhero. Uh, That's not what we're looking for, Derek. That's not what this movie was about. (laughs) You want to see the red tights? I want to see the tights. I want to see the red tights. I want to see the spandex. That's all I care about. All right. I I still think you're thinking of that stripper from last week. (laughs) All right. Well, so that's interesting. I um, I had forgotten a little bit about the ending of uh, Bat- of uh, Dark Knight Rises. So, so you would change it to you just kill off Batman. Period. I would kill off Batman. Period, and have a new Batman. You I think that would have been cool. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see. Yeah, because it was the end of the, the trilogy anyway. Christopher Nolan could have done whatever he wanted at yeah, that they're point. They're not going to. Realistically, they're not going to kill. I mean, they could make they could make it so we think he's dead. Of course, he's going to come back to life. You know that, right? Well, of course. But it would have been interesting to see him take that risk. Um, we only we're probably only going to have time for one more. Uh, so let's, Derek. Do you did you come up with something? Yeah, mine was a little less deep of a like movie or series. <laughs> the series that I would rewrite the ending for was um, How I Met Your Mother. Oh, okay. Um, and obviously, this is a very spoiler-laced uh, conversation. But, yeah, How I Met Your Mother ends with the quote-unquote mother dying, and then he goes back to uh, the girlfriend that he met in the very first episode, mm-hmm. uh, Robin. And it counteracts all the progress, like the people that complain, it counteracts all the progress that a lot of the characters went through because that girlfriend actually married one of the other supporting characters. And you watch right. the whole entire 10th season is, you know, they're the lead up to their marriage. And right when they get married, less than 20 minutes later in the episode, they divorce. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just zoom past like 15 years and boom, <laughs> you just, you, that whole entire season, the last two and a half seasons of character development completely gets uh, destroyed and derailed for this ending. And the reason I think the ending thematically very much works uh-huh. as in uh, people that have watched the series, like Ted, the main character is a very like idealistic romantic mm-hmm. and he hopes for the perfect woman. Right. And he does get it. He gets like that soulmate that he was always dreaming of. Right. With the wife. But, um, but then when the wife dies, he realizes that sometimes that, Super soulmate's not going to happen, but instead you you can be happy with imperfections that happen in most relationships. Right. You know, like you don't have to have everything perfect and them having the exact same interests, you know, or them liking the exact same things. Nothing has to be perfect in order for you to love it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that's Mm -hmm. his like growth because he realizes after going through so many different relationships and going through so many different things that he realizes that he's been 
he's been chasing a impossible dream. You know, like he's been, he's been chasing that perfect rom-com when instead he could be happy with life and like life in general itself. Mm. You know, like, and I think Ted had the highest standards of any sitcom character on television ever. <laughs> yeah. And, and so because of that, thematically the ending very much works, you know, mm-hmm. he got a taste of perfection, but at the same time now he's very happy with how life is too. And it's a great thematic ending, but, but the thing was they wrote that ending for the series probably like at season one, like they have the ending in mind all the way from the very beginning. You know, you go through that whole entire screenwriting tropes where like the first woman, the main character meets is going to be who they end up with. Mm, you know, right. And that whole entire first episode, the funny part of that episode is he talks about the first time he met this woman and it turns out that it's not even the mom of how I met your mother, you know, and it takes eight, it takes 10 seasons to finally meet the mom, you know, but like they wrote that ending from the very beginning. They had like, they recorded the kids with the recordings, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. they recorded the kids like interacting with Bob Saget's voice, uh, they recorded that like way in advance, made them sign NDAs, unable oh, wow. to release that, you know, and it would have worked maybe if they ended the series like at season seven, you know, they condensed it, mm-hmm. but just like how a lot of sitcoms go, they started running on material. And so they started like stretching. Yeah. They stretched was by getting Barney and Robin to fall in love and get married. And that in itself was a terrible, terrible way to go because yeah, Three seasons of progress. Last episode, they did the finale that they've been aiming for this whole entire time. And they eliminate all that progress from everyone. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's the phrase in TV is "jump the shark," where you where you hit a a, a story thread or a episode where the where the series no longer has as much relevance as it used to. And so, it sounds like you're saying that at some point, if they hadn't continued it, the ending that they came up with would have been fine. But because yeah. they went beyond that, it didn't necessarily work as well. They they just needed to change the ending, mm-hmm. you know, like as it developed. Like, it, for example, uh, I think Lost is kind of like that, where they didn't know how long the series was going to mm-hmm. go, mm-hmm. so they had to keep on bringing up new questions or new mysteries. Well, yeah, the guy who really I think started that trend was Chris Carter from X Files, because he put mm-hmm. in, you know, he threw a thousand storylines at that show and only resolved a, a handful of them. So um, I wasn't exactly thrilled with the, the ending of X-Files. So that would, that's one of mine. Probably have time for one more. I'll, I'll keep mine for another time. You, do you have a okay. movie or something you'd like to? The first rewrite ending that came to mind is Psycho. Oh. That 10 minutes that feels like an hour of at the end with the psychiatrist, after babbling on and on and on, I would have cut his speech to like two sentences and then ended the movie the way it did. Mm, that's interesting. So you don't want to change the ending. You just want to shorten it. Yes. Yeah. Because that and the other thing that popped into my mind at the end, which was a, would be a major change, but and I've never been a big fan of Cameron's Titanic, but damn it. There's enough room on that door for Leo DiCaprio to crawl up there too. <laughs> well, he you doesn't know, have to stay. he I've, doesn't have to stay in the ocean. I've seen that meme floating around, and I I just think that's bullshit. Excuse me. I just there's no way he's gonna float. Gonna it's a door. 
Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna capsize. That was the problem. There was yeah. room, but there was the buoyancy wasn't there. That yeah. was the problem. Now, if they had but. a if they have a life raft or something, no, I. <laughs> Chris, you, I'm sorry, Mr. Cameron. Uh, we love your movies. I think Titanic was genius, and there is no room on that door. You're fine. So. The the, I, the one the one complaint actually that um, I, th- I remember Neil deGrasse Tyson had about the Titanic was that the stars were not correct in the night sky, and, and James Cameron went back and changed the night sky as per the specifications of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh my Neil god, Neil deGrasse Tyson wow. is ridiculous. I know. <laughs> yeah, but he is. But look, right is right, and if Cameron thought, you know, one of the things I love about Cameron, I don't know how we're suddenly on Cameron, but that guy really gets. He really gets it. I, his sci-fi, I think, is some of the best besides uh, Ridley Scott's uh, yeah. work. I really enjoy uh, Jim Cameron as a filmmaker. I think, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, you're going to argue with what? Uh, how many billions of dollars did that film make, Chris? Oh, I'm I'm not arguing with that. Yeah, you are. You know, <laughs> okay. Mr. Cameron, <laughs> you can find Chris Styers on Facebook. Please uh, email him directly. <laughs> ping him directly. TM. PM him directly. Oh, wait, uh, Mark, I'm about to get going. Okay, okay. Well, we're gonna, I'll wrap up without you, but thank you, Derek. We'll talk to you okay. next on the next podcast, okay? Bye, Derek. See ya. Take care. So Derek is going to help. Um, he, he does tutoring and stuff like that, so he has – he has an appointment uh, he has to get to. but So those were all great, guys. I really uh, enjoyed all the endings. I mean, I have – I'm going to – I think we should maybe make this a a regular segment um, and maybe get some some – because I think there's a lot of these. Like I – for instance, I, this wasn't mine, but I would say that I didn't like the ending to Sons of Anarchy. Um, really? Okay. No, Do tell. Not at all. But I don't know – Having said that, I don't know how you redeem the Jax Teller character because at the end of that series, he killed a bunch of people. I mean, really, you know, when it first began, he was always justified in his uh, assassinations. But toward the end of the series, they made him pretty much just as bad as any of the motorcycle guys. So you really kind of had to kill him. But I didn't like I didn't like the messianic message it sent uh, at the end of that series. I think he should have gone to jail. But that's just me. So, um, by the way, is anybody going to watch, or is anybody watching uh, the the spinoff for that? I think Mayans. Mayans, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Any of it? Yeah, no. It's yeah. uh, it's it's really an addicting show. You just kind of fall in love with the world. Almost, it's very captivating, and I think it's just so unlike the things that we deal with on the day to day and the things that we see on TV that uh, it, it's really worth looking at. And the the Mayans, for anyone that doesn't know, is basically the rival gang of the um the 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 biker gang that's portrayed in Sons of Anarchy. So essentially they're just following the backstory of the, the villains this time. Supposed villains. Right. Well they're they, they had several biker gangs. There was a white supremacist gang. Right. There was uh there was a black gang. These this was the Hispanic uh motorcycle gang. And they, they, I thought they were the one of the more compelling um parts of Sons of Anarchy. They were really good. So uh, it's good to see him back, but uh, I haven't seen it yet. Have, is it, did it started, right? Um, I don't think so. Okay. So. Uh, I have to, I have to, it says Tuesdays at 10 PM on the, it's on the FX, but I don't know. There's there, they show no episodes uh, yet. It's, so. Oh, no, it's sorry. That started September 4th is when it started five episodes. Oh, so you're far. right. You're right. You're right. Latest. Yeah. And the, yeah, this looks, yeah, I can't wait to watch it. I'm probably going to have to pay to watch it, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> it looks great. So, 
everything was fantastic. Again, thank you guys for uh, being with us. We are Plot Points Podcast. My name is Mark Sevy. Uh, we had uh, Mr. Christopher Styers, Mr. Derek Nguyen, who is now on his way to his tutoring job, and uh, Mr. Bruce Kazra. Uh, always a pleasure, Bruce and Derek and Chris. Thank you so much for uh, for all your wisdom and uh, great fun we have on this on this uh, podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the invitation. Appreciate oh, yeah. it. Well, as long as you guys keep on, you know, give, sending me money, no problem. <laughs> That's what we're here for, to fund your operation. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you you got to get out of your mom's basement at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why? That's the question. <laughs> Mom died a while ago. She's in the corner. She's fine with all this, okay? Don't, don't mess with me, Bruce. She's, sit, she's sitting in a chair, rocking back and forth. <laughs> Uh, you won. You won. <laughs> we should, I wonder if we should add um, if we if for female villains we should add the mother from Psycho. Oh, that could be a really well, good one. Yeah. Well, I mentioned the fact that she's never seen along with the main female villain in Rebecca. Right. No, you, but I mean, we how should, did he pull that off? Well, she is seen. She's seen in the form of. I mean, you're right. You're right. I, actually, Chris, you're right. So I, t- I take that back. We, you added it, and and I just kind of stepped all over your uh, your brilliant uh, analysis. So. <laughs> now you know I don't say that too often. I don't admit wrong too often. But uh, I was wrong. I was wrong. I feel I feel bad now. I don't know how to handle this. So, <laughs> all right, guys. Um, this is slowly deteriorating into something uh, we we don't want to yeah. get behind. So um, we'll do some Q and A next week. I also uh, a screenwriter who just recently died, Audrey Wells, uh, who wrote uh, Under the Tuscan Sun. And what I found interesting was she just wrote um, adapted the book The Hate You Give, which is about a young black girl who sees who lives between two worlds, and it's a shame. Because I really like this woman's writing, and I was looking forward to the hate you give, but she passed away from can- from uh, she died of cancer oh. recently. So, uh, so I'll probably do a, well, a go ahead. When I was checking out her credits, uh-huh. I was surprised. Uh, one room in my house, the artwork up there, I have framed movie posters. Uh huh. Okay, and one of them is one of her movies. Oh, interesting. Oh, uh, Shall We Dance? Oh, yeah. With sure. with Gear and Sarandon and Absolutely. Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I I like that movie a lot. Yeah, she's a good writer. I loved Under the Tuscan yeah. Sun. So. Yeah, I remember that one too. Diane Lane, right? Yeah, Diane Lane. Yeah, it's really, really well done. So I really enjoyed George of the Jungle. That was my favorite. Yeah, there you go. She, wrote that. <laughs> she had such a disparate, uh, you know, uh, resume. So yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, we got to go. Take okay. care. Have a great uh, right. couple of weeks until we talk again. And thank you very much. Right. And to our listeners and to everybody out there in uh, Hollywood land, be inspired. Do good work. <laughs>